This morning we're going to we're going to continue in Colossians, and uh, Paul, Paul, I love uh, what he's been doing. At the end of chapter two, he talks about the old life that we die to. Right? We used to live a certain kind of life, and we put that life to death, and we come to new life in Colossians. 3.1, he turns the corner and he starts talking about a life that we get to live, uh, that we're raised to new life in Christ. We put the old life down and we come into a relationship with Jesus and we are filled with new life. And then he starts to paint this picture of what the new life looks like. There's stuff that we're continually putting on. There's stuff that we're continually pushing off. And then in Colossians 3.11, he says, here in this new community... A whole bunch of people are gathering in new life that's happening inside. And it's not just an individual thing. It's a community thing. We together are growing in new life. And he says that the walls of separation are gone. The walls, the dividing walls are are gone when it comes to value, when it comes to equality, when it comes to you looking at somebody else from a different background or a different place in society. We as people who have new life in Christ, are all the same. People say, you know, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. None of us have, uh, none of us stand any taller when we're on our knees. And Paul says, in this new life, we're all the same. Even though we have distinctions, like Paul talks about Jews and Greeks, that doesn't just wash away, but the hostility washes away. Right, And then Paul does this, what I find um, really profound and really powerful. He says, this is the new community we're uh, doing. And the first place that you live it out is at home. So we've started shifting our language here where we say, the gospel covers over everything that we do. That who Jesus is and what Jesus did and what he continues to do needs to be at the center of everything that everything of who we are. And as a part of that, we want to have gospel worship and gospel discipleship and gospel mission, right? When we talk about discipleship, Colossians says discipleship starts where? At home. Discipleship starts at home. So if you want to go out and be a follower of Christ and be a powerful force in the world, that's wonderful. But it starts at home. And don't feel like you're going to be real effective if the home thing isn't happening and you get to be a follower of Christ for the world to see. There's something missing about that. Paul says it starts at home. So we've talked about husbands and wives. We talked about the family relationship in that day of slaves and masters. Um, And in both of those cases, Paul raises the value of women and wives and he raises the value of bondservants or slaves. And to the husbands and to the men or slave masters, he told them uh, it, the challenge was mostly on them. was mostly on them. And it will be true again today, uh, though there is a challenge for both. So we're going to read Colossians 3, 20 and 21. And then we're going to pray. And then we're going to jump into it. This is Colossians 3. 20 and 21, it says, Children, are you a child here today? Yep, all of us are children. 
And some of us are immediate children. So like I'm talking to you girls in the back row right now. <laughs> right there. I want you to hear this today. Okay? Colossians 3, 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that would understand, that would feel you. Um, and give us the guts to have the courage to live in that. We pray for humble hearts and we pray for hearts that are hungry today to hear from you and to live in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Shift just a little bit and I want to ask a question. Uh, Growing up, or maybe even now, who were your favorite superheroes? Uh, or if you're like, I'm totally not into superheroes, then just like take a 30-second nap. Okay? If uh, lots and lots of people are into superheroes, right? And uh, from comic books to movies, uh, Wonder Woman just came out, is crushing it in the box office, finally showing a strong woman who is confident, who isn't just... Um, eye candy, uh, we could say, but Wonder Woman is, uh, it's the highest grossing movie ever by a female director, um, and it's showing a, a strong female lead, which is just awesome, okay? Um, people, have, people have tastes. You have a wide variety of superheroes to pick from. If you're into that, you can, you can pick out your superhero and then over lunch talk about why they're your favorite, okay? with the powers that they have. Um, shift one, shift over. Who have been your real life heroes? We all have real people in our lives that we have looked to. Some we have met and some we haven't met. Some like have been leaders around the world that we look to and we have great respect for and we admire them and they become a hero to us. Some of them are in our lives we have a relationship with them, and we look to them, and we, um, I, we have a holy respect. The Bible calls that uh, a holy fear. And it's not about being afraid, but having such a deep reverence. For a lot of people, their dad is their hero, right? And I love it when that gets to happen. When mom or dad get to be hero, something right is happening. And so to dads out here today... And to moms out here today, I want you to hear this. Your kids look at you like heroes. They do. You are giants. I remember walking, um, walking home from school in, sixth grade, or in kindergarten, and there was a sixth grade crossing guard. And I looked up at them like, they're so big. Someday I'll be a crossing guard and I'll be big like them. And they're a sixth grade, Right? <laughs> Parents are giants. Micah, my four-year-old son, looks at me, and he really thinks I'm the strongest man in the world. He tells me, you're so strong. And he, so he's really good for my confidence. <laughs> like, someday, Micah, you'll understand how less of a man I am. But right now, I'm going to just enjoy this and let you speak that over me. He's so good. You are giants. You are heroes. 
And I want you to walk out of here, fathers and mothers, understanding that there, you can hold your head up. Also understanding that there is an enormous weight to that. The way we walk out our hero ship impacts our kids. The way we walk out our lives directly impacts our young people in the church. And so even if you're not, um, even if you're not a parent, you are a father and mother figure if you're an adult. And kids look up to you. They watch you. Paul says, I want to talk about, I want to talk about parenthood today. As parents, we have dreams and goals for our kids, right? Some parents take it way too far. They live the life that they never could accomplish through their kids, and they kind of like set up their kids um, moment by moment by moment by moment, tracking what they'll do and what they'll achieve so that they can celebrate it. If you haven't watched The Little Prince on Netflix, I really recommend it. It's a fantastic book, and then they modified it. So if you love the book, you're going to be disappointed if you go for that. The Little Prince on Netflix is a beautiful story about a parent who is so rigid at the beginning and then watching dreams start to flourish. Um, As parents, I think our top dream for our kids should be to see them thrive in the way that God wired them, in the way that God uh, wants them to grow up into their identity, not just having us dictate that for them. We dream for our kids. And Paul says... Uh, Paul says uh, in Colossians 3.21, he says, Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So parents, parents have a role in the life of the kid. Somebody, an author put it really simply, and I have loved this. He said the role of parents is to protect and prepare. The role of parents is to protect and prepare. So when our kids come out, we don't, we're not preparing them right away, right? Little babies, we focus on protecting them. They are to be protected. They're to be held. They're to be coddled. We wrap them real tight and we protect them at all costs because how well can a baby do on his own or her own? Can't. So we protect. When they turn 18 or at the point when they leave our house, we hope that we have not just protected them the whole time, right? Because if we just protect, 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 and then we say, go for it, right? At some point, we make the transition from protecting them to preparing them. This is what happens if we don't make the transition from protection to preparation. Can you show that picture? And I apologize in advance. Okay, there's actually a deal called infantilism. So this looks like a joke, not a joke. There are real adults who pay money so that they can act like babies. They they pay nurseries, they pay nannies to bottle feed them. There's something going on that's so wrong in that. But I think it's also a greater metaphor. We don't want to just 
coddle our kids the whole time. We don't want to just hold them close. We don't want to just love them. Part of loving is preparing. Part of loving is getting them ready to launch. Um, A lot of people say this looks like this from protect, 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 protect. And then in the teen years, it goes whoop, swings up to prepare. And this is a critical time, the teen years. Middle school is horrible. Kids are figuring out their identity. Middle school is often brutal. And if parents can navigate this protect and prepare and start to give them more freedom while working in this, do you know what you want your kids to do when they're in your house, when they're under your roof? You want them to fail. You want them to fail. Because if they don't fail in your vision, under your care, while you're there to protect them from the consequences of that, they will fail eventually. We all fail, right? And so you want your kids to fail at home. Failure doesn't, does not say that you're doing a bad job as a parent. And it doesn't say that they're doing a bad job at being a kid. It's a part of the process. And so when Paul speaks, when he says, fathers, don't provoke your kids, there's a lot going on here. So in Paul's day, just how we've talked about uh, with wives and husbands, with bond servants and masters, and now with fathers and children, in Paul's day, the only legal person in the family was the father. Is the only legal person. And so you would speak to the men because the others weren't really full people. Now we understand that's not true. And Paul even says in Colossians 3.11, that's not true. We're all equal in standing before God. And so Paul talks to wives and he raises them up. And he talks to bondservants and he raises them up. And he's going to talk to kids just simply by addressing kids He's making them, he's, he's talking to them as people. But now he gives a word to parents, to fathers. So he uses this word fathers. This word fathers has been translated in different places in the New Testament as parents. Okay? And especially given our culture, where in Paul's culture, the father was the rule. Paul says peace is the rule now. And in our culture today, who has... Who has the power in the family? Father and mother, right? Over kids? Wasn't true in Paul's day. So it's very, very, very fair to say today's application to this word father is parents. Fathers and mothers. It's an inclusive word. And we can wrap it up. So fathers, do you need to hear this? Yes. Mothers, do you need to hear this? Yes. Are we guilty of violating this at some time, mothers and fathers? Yes, I think that's true. And we need to hear it. Paul says, I want you, as you protect, as you prepare, I want you to see your role as parents. And I want you to be uh, not provoking your kids. As we do that, we, we look to God, who is the ultimate model. So God, throughout the Bible reveals himself as a parent to us, right? Ephesians 5.1 says, 
be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Dearly loved children assumes what? A loving parent, right? With dearly loved children means there's a parent doing the loving. Ephesians 5 1 says, be imitators of God. Watch and model what God is doing because you're, you're children of God's. Now, this is really interesting. God, um, God uses metaphors to describe himself to us. And through the pages of the Bible, God describes himself as a parent, and he uses both masculine and feminine metaphors. So the masculine metaphor throughout the pages is he calls himself father. He calls himself father. We're to know him as father. Jesus, when he's asked how to pray, he says, I want you to start out Abba, daddy. There is a tender side of God as daddy. Crystal said, papa. Like not just the lightning bolt, not just the iron fist, not just holy God, but a loving, loving father. And throughout the pages of the Bible, though, what we, who have, what we have grown up, as we who have grown up in this kind of church setting to say, Father God, often what we have missed is that God uses a lot of feminine metaphors to describe himself. He describes himself in Hosea as a mama bear. Who's going to, like, if you steal my cubs, I'm going to come maul you. Mama bear style. Uh, and he uses that feminine kind of term. He describes himself as the God who gave you birth. And I don't think that's just kind of a, you're born. Congrat-. Like, it's a picture of God birthing us. Which is so awkward for me to think about because I've grown up just in God as a, God as a male. And I don't think that's really true. God is beyond, God is beyond sex. He is not a biological sex, but he uses metaphor to describe himself as father and often, often as a mother figure as well. He says in Isaiah 66, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. Describes himself Uh, in other pictures in Isaiah, as a nursing mother and as a mother in labor. So it's it's inappropriate for for us to just see God as Father as limited to one side of us, right? Or to only half of us that half of us could aspire to. God is Father. God also is a mother figure for us. And I don't want to, like, get weird, but to, to... open up our imagination of God to say, whoa, you are bigger than we thought. You really are bigger than we thought. And God wants us to see ourselves as his children and he as our parent, father and mother-like. Paul even, in the New Testament, describes himself both as mother and father. He says in 1 Thessalonians uh, 2.7, He's like, I came and I was gentle with you, like a nursing mother. Like, that's probably not a metaphor I'm ever going to use, personally. I'm not ever going to describe myself like a nursing mother. That's just not how I'm wired. Paul's real confident 
he's able to say, this is what I was like to you. And he also says, he also says in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, in Christ Jesus, I became your father in the gospel. It says, spiritually, I became your father. When you met Jesus, I became your spiritual dad. And he embraces that role. And so this isn't a sermon to fathers. This is a sermon to fathers and mothers. This is a sermon to parents. And Paul is saying something that we need to hear. He says, uh, I want you to protect and I want you to prepare them. He says, I don't want you to provoke. This word provoke, if you look at different translations of the Bible... If you flip back and forth from the NIV to the ESV to the New American Standard or the New Living or even the Message, this word provoke gets translated, nuanced in a number of different ways. And it comes out looking like, I don't want you to exasperate your kids. I don't want you to embitter them. I don't want you to aggravate them. I don't want you to come down too hard on them. This is what it is by provoke. I don't, I don't want you to be too hard on your kids. Now, Paul is speaking to a culture with the rule of the father that says, I say it, you obey it, done. And if you don't, you're either going to see the back of my hand or the bottom of my foot as I kick you out. You will obey. There is no discussion. And Paul says, don't be too harsh. Because he says, you don't want to. He uses the word here lest they become discouraged. And if you do that same thing and hop through the translations, discouraged is crush their spirits, embittered, lose heart. So he says, if you're too hard on your kids, you're going to end up crushing their spirit. So I've, I've heard discipline strategies that say your discipline is to break their will. Now that may be true, to break their will is good, but you don't want to break their spirit. You don't want to crush their spirit. And there's a tricky, tricky dance to hop into as parents. Paul says, don't be too hard on them because we, we don't want their spirits crushed. We want them to thrive. This is about their well-being. And so for me as a dad... My kids and the job that I do as a dad is not about me. Like when my kids um, misbehave in public, that's not me. That's my kids. They need to learn how to behave, but I don't need to get embarrassed, right? You don't need to get embarrassed when your kids are like that. It's also... Parenting isn't done for my comfort. Parenting isn't done for the parent's comfort. Parenting is done, when parenting is done right, parenting is done for the children's benefit. It's our job. It's our role. We love them and train them. And so if your kids misbehave or when they misbehave and you feel anger, be real careful to act out of that anger because that's probably not the best for them. If you discipline them while you're in a rage, you're probably not going to do what's best for them. And that doesn't mean you just 
dismiss and say, go do whatever you want, that means I need to get off of myself. I need to get beyond myself. And I need to think about, even when I'm angry, even when I'm embarrassed, even when there are uh, <laughs> little sinners, <laughs> what is best for them? What is best for them? Sometimes it's tough love. It really is. And sometimes it's tenderness and compassion that they need to feel like they can fail and still be loved. Right? So let's talk a little bit about parent goals as we, as we look to protect and prepare our kids. This is what I would say, and I want this to be real, real simple. I want you to have a goal. I want you to have a goal that your kids will know that they are dear to you, that you are for them. That's simple, but we can't assume it. I think it's not a stretch to say your children, the goal is that your children should never doubt that. The goal is that at the best of times and at the worst of times, your kids could say, I'm, I don't like my parents, but I know they love me. Even in your discipline, even when you're disciplining them, even when you're coming down on them, that you would do it in a way that they wouldn't doubt your love. Daddy doesn't love me. Kids say dumb things. I remember screaming at my mom, I hate you. And, I'm, and it crushed her. And I'm learning language. And I'm learning how to express emotion. I never doubted that my parents loved me. I grew up with that gift. That's a gift. Because lots and lots of kids don't have that. Lots and lots of you don't have that. I never, ever, ever doubted that my parents loved me. That they were for me. I want that to be a goal of ours. That our kids know that they uh, are loved. I also want to make it a goal, and we're not completely in control of this. Uh, I would like to make this a goal that they want to be in a relationship with us. That they want that. They're stuck with us, right? For the first 18 or so years of their life. Um, or, you know, baby man. Um, hopefully they launch at some point. But they're stuck with us for a period of time. When that period is over, we want them to want to be in relationship. I don't want my kids to turn 18 and say, thanks, see you later. And then write home once in a while, maybe. I want us to have a growing relationship. This is also something that I've experienced that is a gift for me. That my dad, my mom are some of my best friends. And we have a different relationship now than when I was, with a, I was a kid. Are they not my mom and dad now? No, they still have a... They still parent me. It's just different. It's just different now. So we want them to know without a doubt that they're loved, that we're for them. We want them to want to be in a relationship. If those are our goals, then we have some work to do. Now, this isn't, uh, this isn't beat you up, 
don't you dare screw up because otherwise you'll ruin it and then your kids are gone. I'm going to say the answer to this is time. Time. And that's it. For today, the application for parents is time. Are you spending time with your kids? In two different ways. Quantity time and quality time. A lot of people make a big deal about quality time, that you should be like planning big things and super special and like we're real focused. And I think that's good and legitimate. But I think if we only ever look at quality time, um, I think we miss something. Our quality time. We, we need to be spending lots of time. Regular time. Normal time. Boring time. Mundane time. That life isn't just a thrill ride, right? Life isn't parenting and growing up as a kid isn't just about an amusement park. My, my parents are always planning exciting adventures for me, and that's how I know them. Some of the most powerful stuff is being bored together. So like growing up, we had this combination of uh, quantity time and quality time. Every summer we went camping, and we drove past... Um, we would ask as kids, but we drove past, like, can we stop and play mini golf? Nope. Can we do the, can we do the go-karts? Nope. We're driving right past that stuff. You know where we're going? We're going to a campsite. And for the first 15 minutes, my kids do it now, for the first 15 minutes, you know what they say when we get there? I'm bored. What do we do? Go figure it out. There's a whole woods there. There's a lake to go catch crayfish in. Go figure it out. And I grew up, I grew up not needing tourist traps because we had time together. And it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Your kids need time with you. And don't feel like you have to cook up the best plans ever in order to earn their time. They want time with you. And the sooner you start it, the more likely it is that they'll want it later on. If you, if you take them fishing when they're four, when it's really frustrating to take them fishing, and you don't get to fish when you take your four-year-old fishing, right? I just I have to write that out of my brain. I'm not even taking my pole. Okay, I'm good. Now I'm good. And then I get to celebrate when he reels one in. That's me cheering for him. That's me letting him know that I want to be here just to be with you. It's not about, it's not just about what I want to do. It's that I want to be with you. Proverbs 15, 17, I love this, says, A bowl of vegetables with someone you love is better than steak with someone you hate. Debatable. But Proverbs is generally true wisdom, right? The book of Proverbs is truisms. That means mostly true, unless it's speaking directly about the nature of God. A bowl of vegetables, that means in that day, poor food is better than extravagant food. With someone you love than extravagance with an enemy. Uh, let that sink in. Because your kids don't need extravagance. 
Your kids don't need you to provide every toy and every gizmo and every dream vacation. What they need is you. You are able to provide what your kids need. God has given you the means to provide for your kids, even if that's a bowl of rice, because you get to eat it together. You are together. And if they can grow up eating poor meals in the richness of family, that's a gift that you're giving them that way too many kids in this day and age don't have when we think the answer to happiness is more stuff. The answer to happiness is deeper and deeper relationships. So spend time with your kid. Do it as much as you can. Be present to them, that they're not little gnats to wipe off. Sometimes it feels that way because they just crawl on you. Learn Learn to love that, because someday it won't be there. Someday they're not going to crawl all over you, and you'll miss it. So enjoy that. Enjoy parenting at whatever phase you're at, and lean in and look to spend time. Now, here's a word. If you have a broken, broken parent-child relationship, even if you're, you have a broken parent-child relationship and your kids are adults, it's never too late to start engaging. They may have some boundaries that say, say, whoa, it's been a while. Let's start slow. Honor that. But like, stop hanging your head down. Stop living in shame. Start from where you are and lean <laughs> and give them time as you can give them. If you have a broken relationship and you're on the child side of it, look, look for ways to reconcile. That does not mean like doing away with wisdom or doing away with healthy boundaries. If it's, an, if it's been an abusive relationship, then take extreme caution in that. But look for ways to reconcile. And if you can't, if you can't, seek to learn, like Crystal said, about God who is our Father, not from the example you were given. Let Him reteach you what this is supposed to look like. Time is the time is the application. We have generational cycles that happen of brokenness and families continue to like redo what they have done in the hurt and even in the good. And just like in marriage, when you get caught in the crazy cycle, you can start to move against momentum to change what has been so that you don't have to live as a prisoner to what was. You can start writing new pages. Even this morning, even this Father's Day, you can start writing new pages in the parent-child relationship. Fathers and mothers, love your kids. Here's a big one. To give them time, um, real, real, real practical. Parents, learn how to apologize. Teach your kids how to apologize. Model for them what asking for forgiveness looks like. Do not, 
Do not walk around pretending that you don't need to ask for forgiveness. Don't model that for your kids. Humble yourself. When you screw up, that's okay. They're not going to be permanently scarred by you messing up. They will be permanently scarred by you never saying you're sorry. Right? They will be permanently scarred by that. My parents gave me a wonderful picture of what it looked like when my dad screwed up, and he did. He said, I want you to know, I want you to see me as the first one who will come and apologize. And he did. Numerous times. He screwed up a lot. (laughs) But he taught me something bigger than that. That forgiveness is real and humility is powerful. He never stood up and said, I'm bigger than forgiveness. I don't need your forgiveness. You just obey me. When he messed up, He apologized, and I want to model that for my kids. If parents will model that for their kids, kids will grow up learning how to say I'm sorry. Right? They will learn it. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. We imitate our parents. We do, and that's good. God set it up that way. We want our kids to imitate us. So learn how to say you're sorry. So the flip side, because Paul doesn't just address parents, right? He starts with children. In the way that he leaned on parents, or he leaned on husbands, and then he leaned on masters, and he puts the onus on them because they're the more powerful ones in the relationship. He leans on parents, but he also has a word for kids. So if you're a kid in here today, raise your hand. Uh, Not an adult kid, sorry. If you're a child kid, I'm going I'm to wait till you look at me. Beautiful. I'm calling you guys out. Kids, obey your parents. You can't work around it. You can't rationalize it. You can't justify it. Kids, obey your parents. That's just what it says. And what it means is, obey your parents. That's just there. So Paul looks you in the eyes and said, you're a full person. You're not just a thing to be commanded. You have great value. Now obey your parents. The difference is, if if your parents tell you to do something that dishonors the Lord, I think you appeal to your heavenly father. Say, I can't do that. I can't obey you there. But if they set your curfew too early, you can't appeal to your Heavenly Father and say, that violates my Heavenly Father. I need to stay out later. Right? Kids, obey. Your first response as a child is not to negotiate. Your first response as a child is to say yes. Even when you don't understand, don't give your parents the opportunity to say, because I said so. It's because you've already said yes. Now, if you don't understand it, or if you don't like it, the relationship and the conversation is going to go so much better if you say yes. Can you help me understand why? Then, why? That's not going to go well. 
most of the time. And the cycle goes, right? And that's what parents exercise discipline in yourself to not react in anger. But kids say yes first and then seek to understand. Parents use the conversation to help them understand why. Don't, don't appeal to because I said so most of the time. Give them a reason for why this is the best for them. Kids, obey. Obey. The most heroic thing that we can do in our kids' lives is live lives of integrity. Showing them what it looks like to love Jesus and to be loved by Jesus and to walk in our identity, to say we're sorry, to give them time, and to point to the ultimate hero. When they look at us as heroes, that we would, that we would um, not just say, oh, it's all God, kids, but they, he would say, yes, you see me as a hero. God set me up to be a hero in your life, and I want you to see him as the even greater hero, as the ultimate hero who can be your hero. As we move into a time of communion, that's what we get to celebrate. Our hero God, our Father God, who loves us dearly and doesn't just love us emotionally, loves us in action, sacrificially. Our God would lay down his life for us is amazing. Fathers and mothers, spend time with your kids. Learn to say your story and model a life being loved and loving in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Father, to be known by you, to be loved by you, is an incredible thing. More and more, would you give us would you give us the awareness of how you love us, how we are your children? If we've never submitted to that before, if we've never given ourselves to you before, if we've never called out your name in our life, would you give us the courage to say, I need to stop going my own way. I need to die to that life and find my life in Jesus. If there are people present here in this space this morning, would you poke at them, Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you move in them that they would be so unsettled that they would be drawn close to you? Would you wash them with how much you love them? Pour over them and help them to come to you. Help us as parents and as children to live the lives that we were called to. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.